Now, in order to comprehend a little bit about the most holy place, because in the next hour, we're going to be sharing not the tabernacle of Moses. We're sharing this as a type, a picture, a shadow. But what we're going to be sharing in the next hour is the tabernacle of God. Because he said this tabernacle was a shadow or a type of the real one, the true one, which is in heaven. So this tabernacle is not complete unless we share on the true one, which is in heaven. So in the next hour, we want to look at that, the true one, is up there. But we want to finish this a little bit. In the scriptures, there are, I would guess, 75, 80 scriptures dealing with the ark of God. About how David brought the ark up, how the ark was lost, how Levi and his sons let the lampstand go out, and then the Philistines attacked, and, and the whole story. Then there's scriptures and scriptures and scriptures about the ark. Many, many scriptures about the ark. But there's not very much revelation about it. And yet, there's one scripture that says this about everything you need to know. And that's in Revelation 11. <clears throat> Revelation 11, verse 18 and 19. This is at the end of the tribulation period. Uh, I don't know if you've you've studied the the book of Revelation, but you see that the the tribulation begins in chapter between 5 and 6, we say chapter 6, and ends in chapter 11, right where this is here. Then the tribulation begins in chapter 13, and ends in chapter 19. So the book of Revelation is two visions having together, but one's in Israel, one's out of Israel, one's in the church, one's out of the church. But chapter 5 and chapter 13 lay together, and chapter 19 and chapter 11 lay together like that. So that, gives the, that gives the understanding of how it unfolds. It's not sequential. Chapter 12, then, is, is out from under these... This, this regular tribulation. And it stands by itself. And in the chapter 12, you see the whole tribulation beginning to end. So it's an overall view, and this is the details over here on these chapters. So this is the end of the tribulation from this viewpoint here, from this first viewpoint. Chapter 18. And the nations were enraged, and thy wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged. And the time to give their reward to thy bondservants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear thy name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. <laughs> so, at the end now, the temple of God in heaven was open, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. There was nobody carrying it. They didn't have it on their shoulders carrying it in there. It just appeared. And it was the ark, it says, it was the ark of his covenant came into his temple. <clears throat> the ark is a picture of Jesus. 
He is the ark of God. In the Bible, there were three arks. There was the ark of Moses, the ark of Noah, and the ark of God. This ark that's here, the ark of God here. <clears throat> all of them speak about Jesus in one way or the other. They all, everything, everything in the Bible speaks about Jesus. Everything here speaks about Jesus. He said all the law and the prophets and the Psalms speak about him. So everything speaks about Jesus. And this ark also is speaking about Jesus. But this ark comes into his temple. And what came into the temple was the word of God himself. The ark of God. Now when, <clears throat> when we put the ark, I can't fold this back because I, yes I can too. I can fold it back. <clears throat> when we take the lid off of the ark, this is what's on the inside. <clears throat> there were the tables of the covenant, there was Aaron's rod that budded, and there was this pot of hidden manna, which we spoke about in the last hour. <clears throat> we said that the word of God comes to us in different measures. That this is the word for washing, this is the word for eating in Revelation, and this is the hidden manna here. <clears throat> and he said, to him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the hidden manna. So there is a food in here for the overcomer. It's something that's private, something no one else knows about. It's a personal thing just for you. It's between you and the Lord. We could call it a secret between you and God. And that's for the overcomer. Those who come to this location here. In this location there's also Aaron's rod that budded. <clears throat> and this happened when they rose up against Aaron and said, we are, we're all priests of God. So God told him, cut sticks and bring them, skin all the hide off of them and bring them. And you remember Aaron's rod budded and all the rest of them didn't. And so God was showing who his authority was. That his authority was Aaron because his rod budded and bloomed and bore fruit. <clears throat> so when we look in the Ark of the Covenant here, we see that there's, there's the, the law that's not going to pass away until every, every jet dot tittle was fulfilled. The hidden road to man and the God's authority there. <clears throat> and all this authority and everything is in Christ, who is the ark of God. Let's look in uh, Revelation, or in Psalm, Psalm 132 and see if we can see it clearer there. <clears throat> in Psalm 132... <clears throat> Verse 8. <clears throat> Arise, O Lord, to thy resting place, thou and the ark of thy strength. <clears throat> this is the ark that is speaking about Jesus. 
And it's called the ark of his strength. <clears throat> and he said, arise unto thy resting place. Thou, thou, the presence of God, and the ark of thy strength. <clears throat> the ark is the presence of God. God said that he would meet with them above the ark of the covenant, over the mercy seat, between the two cherubim. <clears throat> so it's in this exact location that God speaks. And this is where the cloud came down in so that everybody could see the location of God's presence right there. <clears throat> but God speaks from between the cherubim there. This is where the voice of God is. Now we said that God reveals from the table of showbread. But God actually speaks from right there. <clears throat> That's where his word comes forth from there. So all these types and symbols and everything that we see about the, about the ark is Jesus, the word of God. It's the, it's the presence of God. It's the glory of God. It's, it's God and his word joined together in the ark. <clears throat> so when, we, when we're speaking about <clears throat> coming to that location where the ark is, the most holy place, we're talking about the Shekinah glory of God. We're talking about the absolute presence of God. Ground zero of the presence of God. That's where God is. <clears throat> in our study, <clears throat> in the next hour, we're going to show who shall see his face. Who shall be face to face with, with God where they stand, and why they're there. <clears throat> but where they are is at the Ark of the Covenant. And this Ark of the Covenant, which is a picture of Christ, is the temple of the New Jerusalem. The temple has dimensions. This temple, which is the New Jerusalem, has dimensions, doesn't it? It's 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. It has dimension. People say that can't be a city because it has to be a regular city because it has dimension. But it says there that, that the city is in the temple which is God. He said the city has no need of the moon or the sun to shine upon it. It has no temple in it. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are his temple. So the temple has dimensions. But the city is in it. And that's, that's the revelation of the Ark of the Covenant. That's the authority of God. It's the throne of God. It's the ruling place of God. It's where the law of God goes forth. And it's where the hidden man is. That's, that's, within, that's within the New Jerusalem. So in the next hour, we're going to be sharing on the tabernacle of God. <clears throat> but before we do that, I want to share just a little bit on the tabernacle of David. Because there are, from time to time, there's the doctrines rise up about the tabernacle of David. Back in the middle to late 70s, that, that doctrine of Tabernacle David went through all the Spanish churches. I was in Chicago 
when that doctrine came up there. It came out of Argentina. <clears throat> it was, wasn't a bad doctrine. It wasn't air or anything like that. It was just shallow. It didn't really say what the Tabernacle of David is. And what they did is they, they dressed up girls in, in flowing robes and the toe, toe shoes on. They did ballet and uh, they had people singing and praising God while they were dancing around uh, saying this is the Tabernacle of David. So we need a clear understanding of what the Tabernacle of David was. This, this tabernacle was at a place called Shiloh. It was outside Jerusalem. And this is where the priests ministered. This is where the sacrifices were brought, etc., etc. But Aaron, uh, Levi's sons were more interested in eating the best of everything and, and uh, meeting with these women that gathered at the door here than they were about the things of God. And so they got... They got in, engrossed in all the things around that altar and, and the women, and they let the lampstand go out. When this lampstand went out, this holy place, life and ministry went in darkness. The Bible says there was no vision in Israel in those days. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went out and, to meet the enemy, because as soon as this lamp went out, the enemies attacked. They took the Ark out to meet the enemy, and the enemy captured the ark. And then they took it around the Zotus and, and different places in Philistia. And then, because a certain plague broke out amongst them, they put it on an ox cart, a new ox cart, and sent it back. Then it came to a house there in, in Israel, over to Eben's house, finally. It was dur during the time of Saul. And no one went to inquire of the ark for about 40 years. Nobody was interested in the ark. But they were still having church at Shiloh. And nobody could see in here. They didn't know that this was all darkness, you know. They didn't know there was no, no revelation. So they were bringing their sacrifice and they are doing all this stuff out here. So... David realized, finally, after he was into his reign for a few years, that, that the ark of God was down at Obadiah's house, or down in that area. I think he brought it to Obadiah's house the second trip. But he decided to go down and get it. So by that time, they didn't even know how you carried the ark. You know, they just, they Philistines put it on an ox cart, so they thought they could. So they put it on an ox cart and started to bring it to Jerusalem. Then Uzzah put forth his hand because it hit a rock and the fire came out and killed him. Then, Moses, then, Aaron, then David began to, to inquire of God about the proper way to bring the ark up. And so God showed him that it had to be through consecrated priests. They had to carry it on their, on their shoulders and so forth. So then every few feet they've started to sacrifice and they've had a real revival. David was singing and dancing. And they brought the ark back to Jerusalem. They didn't take it to Shiloh, where it was. So David brings it up to Mount Zion and sets it out in his front yard of his house. And there he built a little structure around it, just a little roof and three sides. And it was called the Tabernacle of David. Now, the Tabernacle of David was prophetic. 
because it was speaking about something that was going to happen later. Otherwise, David could not have sit down there in front of the Ark of the Covenant and played his stringed instruments and sang because there was no veil there. Besides, he wasn't a priest. He was a king. And the fire of God would come out and consume him if he would have sat there and played his little string and sung to the one who dwells above the cherubim. Then he brings the Levites, not the priests, he brings the Levites and teaches them how to dance and sing and praise God before the Ark of the Covenant. So David's tabernacle was just the most holy place without the veil. So what we're looking at here is David's tabernacle. See? Now, in Amos 9, in Amos 9, in verse 13, well, we'll, we'll start back in 11. <clears throat> Amos 9, verse 11. And he says, In that day I will raise up the fallen tabernacle of David and wall up its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. And the mountains will drip with sweet wine, and all the hills will be dissolved. I will also restore the captivity of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them, and they will also plant vineyards and drink their wine, and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out of their land, which I've given to them, says the Lord God. So now the, the time for rebuilding the tabernacle of David is the time when Israel comes back to their land. You see it there? And he says during this time, the plowman, the one who's plowing the field, is going to overtake the one who's reaping the field. And the one who treads the grape overtakes him who sows the seed. And the mountains will drip with sweet wine, the hills will be dissolved. So there's going to come a tremendous harvest, tremendous revival during this time. And the time is, at that time, he's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. Wall up his breaches. He's going to extend this tent pegs. And he's going to rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Eden. So there's coming a time when Israel is back on the land and God has restored the captivity of the people. And they rebuild the ruined cities and they plant vineyards and drink the wine and make gardens and eat the fruit at that time. God wants to restore the tabernacle of David. Rebuild it as in the days of old. So, what does that mean to us? What I was saying is, I think the next revival has to be consecration. 
because with the consecration offering, there'll be, there'll be gold to build a lampstand. When the lampstand is in place and the seven flames of fire on it, it'll illuminate the showbread. The showbread will give the revelations to pray down the will of God upon the earth. Then, this veil, which is torn, will, will include the, lamp, the, the uh, altar of incense, which sits right there now. And we see the tabernacle of David gets rebuilt. He walls up his breeches. Then how do we come to the conclusion that this is the time that God has designed from all eternity? This is the time we're living in. Because Israel's back in the land. They've planted, they planted vineyards. They're drinking the wine. They've planted gardens. They're harvesting the fruit. So if, if Israel is in that position... We know this is the time when God wants to restore the tabernacle of David. Now, before we can come to the tabernacle of David, we've got to get in the holy place, right? I mean, there are people who have done that. I'm not saying that there's nobody. But the church in general that participates in these moves of God, like the Pentecostal movement, like the charismatic movement, the whole church participated in that. In, in uh, Martin Luther's revelation, justification for faith, that spread and the whole church began to participate. When the Anabaptists restored the truth of water baptism, the whole church began to participate. Not just one individual here and there. So, it's not that there is nobody who has consecrated and entered in and got revelation from God. There's many people. But the church in general hasn't. So because of the time in which we're living, I believe the now word of God to the church is it's time to make the consecration offering. Be committed to God's purpose. Be committed to God's character. And be committed to God's sovereignty. Come under that sovereignty of God. Or stand in that sovereignty of God and participate with God to get the will of God done on the earth. So that the will of God is being done on earth in the same measure that is being done in heaven. In the next hour we'll be sharing on the tabernacle of God. And in that study we're going to start in Genesis 1 and 2 and see how God fulfills his commission in Genesis 1 and 2 in Revelation 21 and 22. What God began in the beginning, he brings to a final conclusion in Revelation 21 and 22. Because he is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. Amen.